We also want to say thank you to Ms. Donna for filling in for Ms. Robin while she's on vacation. Uh, we're very blessed to have a fill-in like that, right? And, uh, amen. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Psalm chapter 133. Psalm 133. I was telling Brother Derek back at the back door, I think we messed up your guys' rhythm a little bit coming back today. Like stumbled a little bit. We'll, we'll try to catch up here in just a moment and, and get on the same page. Psalm 133, when you find your way there, if you will, out of reverence for the word of God, would you stand with me? Psalm 133, beginning in verse 1, Behold, how good and pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garments. As the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. I want to spend some time with you this morning talking about unity. I don't want to qualify much, but I do want to say this. We probably have enjoyed more unity in this church in the past decade than some churches ever enjoy in their entire existence. And so as I preach this morning about unity, I'm thanking God for the unity we have and encouraging uh, more of the same. So would you go to the Lord with me in prayer? Would you pray specifically? Not, not just that you take a moment and bow your head and close your eyes, not that you just observe some form of reverential silence while the preacher prays, but would you in your heart this moment pray and ask the Lord to do a work in your heart? Would you ask him to show you something you've not seen before? That the Holy Spirit of God would illuminate for you a truth that, that you didn't understand before you came today? And that he would do so in such a way that you would walk in obedience immediately as you leave today? Applying the truth that God shows? Would you pray that way? Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful group of folks that we have gathered here that have come together in one accord to, to worship. Father, that have come together to hear the reading of God's word, to be ministered to in the word, to worship in the word. God, we're incapable of doing what needs to be done minus the indwelling Holy Spirit. God, I pray you'd give him liberty to move, to guide, to illuminate, to teach. Father, I pray that as we leave here today, we would leave walking in accordance with the word of God. Father, I pray you'd do a special work today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. 
my goal uh, every time uh, that I preach, and I, I think that you all who know me and know me well would, would agree and believe this, my goal is transparency. I always want to be honest with you. I want to tell you the truth. I, I want to tell you the truth as I know it concerning the Word of God. I want to be honest with you about how the Lord is working in my heart and in my life. I, I want to be clear with you about what I believe God would say to us from a per particular passage of Scripture. My goal this morning is transparency. The, the truth, I believe, that we can share today, and this is what the Lord has been working in my heart uh, for several weeks in this direction. Uh, the truth, I believe, that we can see some of in this psalm is, is first, God's design, God's design for the church. I think we can also see in this passage what it is within the church that, that Satan dreads or that can defeat Satan. I also believe that, and this I know for a fact because I wrote it right across the top. It's my dream. Not only, not only for this church, this local assembly of believers, but for the church, the body of Christ. It's, it's my dream. It's God's design. It'll work to Satan's defeat. It is what he dreads. And it is my dream. And in, it's quite simply unity. Unity specifically among the brethren. And that's, that's not an ambiguous term. But we, could, we could apply unity with some ambiguity. But it's, as it relates to the Word of God and the design of the church... Unity is not ambiguous because there is a goal. There's a calling. There, there's a ministry to be achieved. We could, but you know, and, and, and look, I love, I love alliteration and, and you, you all know that about me, maybe to a fault, maybe to, to be able to, to fun with a little bit, but, but I mean, we could very easily say, uh, you know, in unity, a unified spirit of exaltation among the attendees, a unified spirit of edification within the body, a unified spirit of evangelization in the community. You say, well, I don't like those words. Well, we could say this. We need to be unified in worship. We need to be unified in work. And we need to be unified in witness. It's, it's not ambiguous. It's, it's clear. And, and the psalmist here is writing about unity. I, I thought the other day, you know, what is, what is uh, the benefit of, of a unified church? What are the capabilities of a unified church, a unified church as is relative to the things that the scripture would say about the church. Well, I would say this to you, and, and, and I'm just sharing some of my heart with you right this moment. A unified church, a church composed of unified brethren will be a prevailing church. It will prevail. A, a church composed of unified brethren will be a preserving work. It will act as a preservative in the community. 
A church composed of unified brethren will be a productive effort. It will not go for want. It will not go for naught. There will be a result that is obvious and admirable. I'm thinking about unity today as I look at this psalm. But I'll give you uh, just a, a quick understanding, and it's not meant to be the portion of the sermon. This, is, this psalm is one of 15 of its kind. They begin at 120, they end at 135. They are songs of degrees. Uh, they are relative to one another, those 15 psalms are. The, the thought behind songs of degrees, that's a, that's a classification. It could also be defined as a song of ascent. You hear it that way at times. There's a number of reasons, by the way, ideas, opinions as to what the song of ascent or the song of degrees were intended for. Dr. Phillips makes this comment. It, it could be a song of the higher choir. It could be a song in a higher key. It may have to do with stages of returning back to the promised land after the Babylonian captivity. It, it could be prophetic, referring to the final ingathering of the Jews. It could be related to the restoration of the ark. It could be relative to the 15 steps of Ezekiel's temple. This is what I want you to comprehend right here. Because you know... What happens is intellectually, uh, people love to find something to check a box and say, well, he didn't say that. This is what I want you to understand. It is a song of ascent. It is a song of degrees. That is relative to those 15 psalms. But there is nothing about that. There is nothing about the idea or the fact or the, the understanding of it being a song of degrees that disqualifies it from being applied to the church. So it's irrelative to the conversation. It's just a song of degrees. We could say the same about a messianic psalm or an orphanic psalm. It's just a classification. William MacDonald outlines this particular psalm with, with just four points. I, and I like simplicity. He says that first and foremost, this psalm shows uh, that uh, it is good and pleasant when brethren dwell together. But secondly, it is, it is fragrant when brethren dwell together. Third, it is refreshing when brethren dwell together. And finally, it is a sure guarantee of God's blessing. And we could look at the psalm. I see several nodding their head. Yes, that's a good outline, isn't it? Um, Mr. McDonald was on his game there. We're not, we're not going to use that, but I wanted you to see the simplicity of the psalm. We're talking about unity among the brethren. I want you to notice first the, de 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 defining, the defining qualities of unity. I've already mentioned the characteristics of a unified church. That is prevailing. It's prevailing against the gates of hell. It's preserving. It is, it is as preserving as in salt that preserves. It is productive as, as in fruitful, fruit-bearing. 
The, the question rightly associated with this psalm and the contents is can we connect it to the church? Can we apply it today to the church? And I believe in short the answer is, is yes. I'm, I'm in good company there, by the way. I didn't, I didn't, write, I didn't write this uh, myself. Uh, many commentaries would agree. I want you to notice that he says there that that unity is described as among the brethren. Do you notice that? It is, it is unity among the brethren. Uh, for brethren to dwell together in unity. And so we, we comprehend that the brethren is the key there in the unity. And, and for these brethren to be brethren, they must share some sort of parentage. There's something that connects them. There's something that... That, that brings them together into this relationship as brethren. And in this particular passage, without any, without any mystery at all, they're Jews. <laughs> That's why they're brethren. They are of the nation of Israel. They're brethren. They are uh, God's chosen people. They are part of the covenant. They are in that group of brethren. Well... According to the new covenant, you and I, if we are born again, if we are in Christ, then we are sons of God. And it, the scripture specifically said, as many as are led of the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. We are in a, a, a connection with one another. We are brethren. We we are, uh, the, the, the Bible would go ahead and say the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ. We are brethren in the family of God. And so when we read Psalm 133 and we say, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity, we must immediately say that could be of immense value to the body of Christ, the church, the brethren, who should dwell in unity together. It's... Very simple terms, by the way, and I don't want to complicate the terms that the psalmist uses. He says there, uh, we, we could extrapolate a little bit, unity of the brethren is good. I'm okay with that. I'm fine with that statement. That's a, a well stated. Unity of the brethren is okay. That's what he says. Unity of the brethren is acceptable. That's not what it says. Unity of the brethren is, is good. That, that gives us the idea that there, there is an inherent value found in the unity. Not in the brethren, but in the unity. There's an inherent value found. It means that it is beneficial. It would be no trouble, no struggle... No stretch for us to, to coin a phrase that would say something along these lines. Unity breeds, uh, breeds solidarity and solidarity strength and strength ability. I don't believe anybody would disagree with that. In fact, I would not even say that without qualifying it first. You might want to go look for it. I may have read it somewhere. 
Because it sounds pretty good. It's, it's the idea that indeed that, that togetherness is, is the, the unity is strength. It is solidarity. It is ability. It is a fibrosity that makes, makes the church resilient against the things that occur outside of the church. The body of Christ. Indeed, it would be so simple, and you all have read them, I'm confident to go and show passage after passage wherein the, the, the church is described as a body, many members, one body, a whole body, fitly joined together, compacted by that which, which every joint supplies according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. And so what we understand is that even if issues arrive, even if difficulties occur, even in tribulation, the unity in and of itself bears an inherent value. It's good. Not only is it, is it good, it's pleasant. Unity of the brethren is pleasant. Well, we would simply employ the typical thesaurus and say, what does that mean? Well, it means that it's good, it's pleasant, it's pleasing, it's agreeable, it's satisfying, it's joyous, it's desirable, it's attractive, it's something to be desired, it's something to be reached for, it's something to be pursued. Unity among the brethren is good and pleasant. You notice that the penman, just from a, a position of realism, and reality here. The penman never says that unity is guaranteed. If you've been in church, if you've been in the body of Christ any length of time, you understand why he doesn't say it's guaranteed. He never says that unity is guaranteed. He doesn't say that unity is easy. He doesn't say that unity is simple. He doesn't say that unity is automatic. He doesn't even say that unity is promised, but it's good and it's pleasant. Something to be pursued. I wonder this morning, just as a, just as a moment, to, to just to give you a chance to catch your breath and hear what I've said. I wonder this moment if, if we could somehow peel back the, the edifice that covers whatever that is, and reveal the hearts and minds of the members of this local body. I wonder, would we see unity? I wonder if we could open it, would we witness a, a network of, of unified dreams and desires for this church and for this community? I wonder would we see uh, uh, pleasing lines of, of parallel personal preferences all bowing to the undeniable need for Christ in our community, in our country, in our county, and in our state. 
I wonder, would we see unity or would we see individualism and division and disagreement and distraction and argument? Because my suspicion is that in every local assembly, there's a great deal of the latter. And that's why the local assemblies are in atrophy and the communities are being swept into syncretism and sensuality because we're not unified. I, I, I want to move for a minute. Let's look at some details Concerning unity, again, very, very simple, very uh, straightforward. I'm considering the question here, how can we practice unity? So if the church needs to be in unity and it's good and pleasant and desirable when the church, when the brethren are in unity, how can we practice unity? Maybe you'd prefer this statement how, or this question. How can we model unity? How can we express unity? Unity. And in the details, I notice that there are two here in this passage requirements. It's there in verse 1. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Again, we're not trying to rewrite the, the bylaws here. Simple stuff. Unity is expressed, first and foremost, unity is expressed in dwelling. It's expressed in dwelling. That means that the verb attached to unity in this particular verse is to dwell. And it is specifically to dwell in unity. That, that means that if we're going to dwell, if we were looking at any other concept and we were considering dwell, it would mean abide, tarry, remain, stick around if you prefer uh, a colloquialism. Uh, it, it, it would be to, to hold on, to, to be there, to be involved, to be a part, to dwell. Very, very short step, by the way, to make application of that with that, to attendance. It's, it's right there. Now, I realize I'm, I'm absolutely 100% confident that there are some and maybe many in here that, that don't care for that application. You don't want to talk about attendance. It might feel pushed. It might feel legalistic. It might feel misguided. It may feel out of place. But I don't exactly know how we can talk about unity if we can't comprehend dwelling together. And if we're going to talk about dwelling together, I don't know how we can do that if we're not somewhere together. And I try not to be sarcastic, but I have a really good spot we all fit. 
And we have a schedule. So we, we have this idea of, of coming together. And if we're going to be honest, we have to be honest enough to realize that if we want to experience unity, unity towards what? Unity towards worship, work, and witness. Right? It's the goal of the church. So if I want to experience unity, then it's going to require some level of faithfulness, some level of dependability. I am, I am certain, because we've been doing church, we've been doing ministry, we've been doing church leadership for about 20 years now. I know that's minuscule compared to a lot of people, but... I've seen a thing or two in 20 years. I'm certain that there are well-meaning, born-again church members who rarely ever experience the good pleasantry of the unity of the brethren, which results in strength and solidarity simply because they cannot find the stability of attendance. It's not because there's not a place they want to attend. It's not because they're not welcome to attend in a place. It's not because of any other form of, of external pressure that we could place on that relationship of being in unity with the brethren. It is simply because they cannot find the way to make a commitment to be there when the doors are open, to be involved to be connected, to be plugged in, to dwell in unity. Unity is expressed in dwelling. Unity is marked by togetherness. That's what it says. For brethren to dwell together in unity. So we, we would look again at the idea of togetherness, and we would very easily say, very simple, by the way, you cannot experience unity dwelling separately. It's impossible. You can't be unified dwelling separately. You have to dwell together. The qualifier for the unity is the togetherness. And so when we as the body of Christ, come together in one spirit for one cause unto one end, and we dwell together in that work, we experience the goodness of unity, meaning that we can settle down into the work together with strength and solidarity to complete the work. And when we do that, we're expressing the unity of the brethren, and it's good, and it's pleasant. What are some desirable effects of unity? He shares some examples here, by the way. Desirable effects. So, so if we can all agree, and, and I'm not suggesting yet that we have, but if we were to all agree, okay, I see what you're saying. We need to be faithful. We, we need to express unity by dwelling together, this is how it's going to happen. So then what's going to, what's going to be the result of that? What is, what is going to happen? What are we going to experience as we express 
unity. And the psalmist gives two very simple, uh, very notable uh, uh, illustrations. The first he gives has to do with the, the anointing of the, the high priest, the anointing of Aaron. The second has to do with the blessings of God, the dew from Hermon. Both of those are a picture, by the way, of the Holy Spirit of God. One of them is a special concoction of spices and olive oil that became the holy anointing oil of the temple and or tabernacle depending on uh, time frame and they would use that to uh, anoint the the temple artifact uh, uh, furnishing furnishings and to anoint the priest and it was a consecration signifying the blessings of the holy spirit the other is talking about dew and what we see there in those types is the, the, the oil with those special spices ha- produced a sweet aroma. And that is the sweet aroma of God uh, produced by the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And, and the dew uh, that falls, uh, he, he mentions Hermon, which is uh, the highest place in, in the land and snow-capped. And it is from there that the Jordan issues forth and it, it brings blessing to the land. And, and so we would see that dew as the sustained blessings of God. And and then he says because of that, there in the last part of verse 3, there there are uh, even life evermore. And so we see uh, this idea of a sacred peace with God, this peaceful life that we can enjoy now, and then this shared promise of God, the uh, eternal life that we can share with those outside of the body. It's It's a very clear picture of the desirable effects. We would go back to Leviticus if we wanted to look at that that picture of Aaron and as Moses would pour that oil, that that unique, that devoted, that one-of-a-kind, holy oil, that work of the perfumer that would be poured and and signify the blessings of God and it would emit that sweet aroma and and the psalmist is saying here that when we dwell together we will experience the sweet aroma that comes from the indwelling spirit of God the blessings of his presence the identification that comes from the pouring out of the spirit the inclusion that comes from the baptism of the spirit into the body the insight that comes from knowing that we belong to one another another we're part of something again we would say many members one body one spirit one faith one baptism one God and Father unity it's what the church is called to do through all and in us all And then there's the picture of that dew that, that would fall and from Hermon. And, and, he, and he says, what if it descended all the way to Zion? That would be a picture of the continual blessings, the, the cover, covering blessing, the, the consummate blessing of the Lord upon all of the land. And it speaks to the sustaining blessing of the Holy Spirit of God. 
And if the oil represents identification and inclusion in the inside, then the dew would illustrate increase, fruitfulness that God could bring to that body that dwells together in unity. Lastly, we consider that picture of the blessings of life evermore. We, we would not be hard-pressed to say, well, that's speaking of the life that we've been given. Because Paul would say to us in Ephesians, you're dead in trespasses and sin, but he quickened you together. And he would go on to say in Galatians, uh, you're, you're crucified with Christ, but, but if you're alive, you're alive now because Christ lives in you and the life you live is the life of Christ. And, and we would see that picture and we would realize that because of our, our new birth that we have been baptized into this body and we experience this unity of brethren, but it came with life, it brought life from death. But there's also the picture of sharing that gift moving forward. We are a conduit through which that life evermore can find its way to a lost and dying world if we dwell together in unity, in work, in witness. Because the result of that is The result of that is, is not a pastor getting his way. The result of that is not a church getting a bigger building. The, the result of that is, is, is not a community getting a new gymnasium. The result of that is that lost people in the community hear the gospel from the saved people in the body that is dwelling together. And when they hear the gospel, they are born again and that life evermore is transported to them through that unified body that's dwelling together in unity. And the body swells as more are brought in. And those reach more. It's, it's a very archaic, very simple process that we have convoluted with all sorts of questions. The question is, are there lost people in the community? question is, what does that lost person need? They need the gospel. The question is, who's going to give it to them? The body of Christ. The question is, are you an active, participating member of the body of Christ who can share in the work and the witness? It's unity, dwelling together in unity. We can we take these words, the gospel words. We can, we can parse them. We can debate them. We can divide them. We can turn them into all sorts of arguments. We can just take them and stuff them under our hat. Just don't do anything with them. Or, or we, could, we could preach them. We could practice them. We could project them with our lives. Or we could pervert them. 
We could cover them. We could turn them into some parody of truth that everybody enjoys and some parody of wisdom that makes everybody feel good. And you know what? They're going to get a parody of life evermore, not the real thing. Do you know where the responsibility lies? In the body of Christ. Many members. One body. The unity of the brethren. What is the gospel? It's the eternally settled word of God. It is that, that we're all descended from Adam, that we're all fallen in sin, that we're all conceived in iniquity, that we're all born in sin, that were it not for the finished work of Christ on the cross, we would be eternally damned to that condemnation. But Christ took upon himself the sins of all, bore them on his cross. The Bible makes it very clear that if we repent of our unbelief, repent of our unbelief, turn to God by faith, follow him, to be born again. It's the gospel. That is life evermore. That is the responsibility of the unity of the brethren. Would you stand with me this morning? Heads bowed and eyes closed. I wonder this morning, how would you answer the unity question? How would you answer the, the question of what it would look like if we could see behind the scenes? I wonder this morning if there's one who's never accepted the finished work of the cross. You, you just don't comprehend the body at all. Would you come to Christ today? I wonder if as a church we would come to the altar this morning. I know that's asking a lot. I know there's a lot of us in here. I wonder if we'd come down looking for unity, commitment. I wonder if there's somebody in here today that would like to make that commitment themselves. Not to me. I don't need it. You would make that commitment between yourself and the Lord. The altar's open. Father, I pray that you bless this time of invitation. Lord, I pray that you do a work in our hearts. Help us, Lord, as we strive for unity to accomplish the work of the church. Lord, we love you and thank you and praise you in advance. In Jesus' name. Would you come this morning? Lord, I come, well, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest, and without you, well, 
so much for being here this morning. Thank you for your attention and your attendance. And uh, of course, uh, no church this evening. Uh, it's Father's Day. We want you to spend time with your families, uh, but just uh, check our schedule. We'll be back on a regular schedule. We're back Wednesday night as well, and so we'd love to have you with us. Once again, we appreciate the Saunders, Brother, Alan, uh, Brother Nathan, I'm sorry. Doc, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Church, as you know, I